I accidentally called him Gene Simmons in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Look, here's the mic. Right here in the bush. Yeah. Now you talk towards it. The sound goes through the cable to the box. A man records it on a big record in wax. But you have to talk into the mic first. In the bush. Welcome, everybody. It's Recotopia episode 70. I'm Jeremy Scott, and this is... Aaron Dicer. Welcome to the chat. Thank you for coming out. You guys are a lively portion of this show every week, and we appreciate your presence and your input. Mm -hmm. This week's big recommend, as you can see on the screen if you are watching, is Singing in the Rain, Aaron's favorite movie of all time. Indeed. Before we dive into the big recommends, let's do some small recommends. Aaron, do you have any small recommends this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I do. Gonna start it off with Blackberry. Um, there's this whole batch of movies that are like, the social network was cool, let's do a version of that, yes. uh, that have come out recently. I think of Air as uh, one of them. There are several others. Some are good, some are great, some aren't so great or good. Uh, this one I would put firmly between the good and the great. Um, I think this is really, really interesting. Uh, Jay Baruchel uh, plays kind of the mastermind behind the idea of BlackBerry. I learned a lot about the technology uh, that BlackBerry really pushed forward in the mobile world they did some things that absolutely revolutionized our ability to communicate on our mobile devices um the first of being which that they had local servers that they would store information on as opposed to uh the company servers like at&t or you know those kind of things so it allowed them to have more users uh, it's an interesting movie about how the recipe for uh, technological success is often the engineering know-how plus the marketing know-how. Like mm. those two things and how they work together and these two people who came together uh, to do that and also how both of those people lost sight of uh, the ability for BlackBerry to, uh, you know, move on and do new things in the uh, wake of the iPhone, the first iPhone. And um, basically, I think most of us know the idea of BlackBerry where they had 65, 70% market share and now have less than 1%. <laughs> I, didn't be, I wouldn't have even known that they're still going. I didn't they know may that. not be. They may not be. I may have said 0% at the end. There's, a, you know, of course, little text uh, interstitials at the end. Uh, that kind of give you that stuff. But I found this fascinating. Really, really interesting. Um, big recommend for me, or I guess technically a small recommend for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is definitely one worth worth watching. All right, good call. I, uh, I have heard about this. I've heard good things, and I am looking forward to checking it out. What's crazy is how many of the social network imitators have been good. Mm -hmm. Like, I haven't seen the Elizabeth Holmes movie with uh, Amanda uh, Seyfried, but I hear that's great and that she's good in it. Blackberry's supposed to be great. Error was mm -hmm. great. Anyway, uh, my first small recommend for the day is a 2015 movie called Experimenter. Uh, and this stars Peter Sarsgaard. And I'm kind of on a Peter Sarsgaard kick. We did uh, Shattered Glass uh, as a big recommend a few weeks ago. Uh, and he's a key player in that. Uh, and I always enjoy him. And I th think I'm starting to realize that he is a lot better than I knew he just is a more subtle actor than some of the more outlandish dramatic people. I haven't seen him be anything but excellent. This is a true story, a biography movie about a famous social psychologist named Stanley Milgram. This guy is famous for uh, an experiment he did where <laughs> it's wild. He, the experiment was to test how willing people would 
be to follow orders, even if they knew they were part of an experiment. So he'd bring people in mm-hmm. and sit them at this table and a microphone. And they would say, okay, there's a guy in the other room across the, right. the wall. And if he gets the answers wrong, when you ask the questions, you're going to shock him. And we're going to increase the shocks steadily. And it's wild how many of these people kept doing it, even when, and it's Jim Gaffigan in the other room, but even when he's screaming in pain, they're they're like, well, the guy told me to, I want to conform to the experiments. It's interesting that Mm -hmm. what's going to end up being this show's outtakes, uh, dances around these topics of conformity and and social rules. And uh, there are a few people that flat out refuse, but ultimately he realizes that People are kind of dicks uh, in the right controlled circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that even even those that would initially show reservations would eventually go ahead and do it. And at the end of the experiment, he would bring Jim Gaffigan in and he would say, oh, there was no shocking. You're good, mate. It's all in good fun. Everything's, I know, I was never getting hurt. And some of these people were traumatized. He publishes a book about this uh, and becomes controversial for this. He flat out lied to these people and they thought they were causing pain. You can actually see how some people could come out of this with trauma. But the movie is interesting because it, it, it has a great lead performance. There are several times where he turns, breaks the fourth wall and speaks directly to you, um, which doesn't always work, but it does here. Uh, and then there's just lots of great, social experiments that you get shown from his mentor who did experiments where everybody in the elevator would face the back except the one person right. not in on the experiment and yeah. they would eventually turn around and face the back or uh-huh. people standing on a street corner staring up and pointing at nothing and and how long people who walk up will look we'll up look for whatever they're pointing at yeah yeah best one is the one with lines that his mentor did where there were four guys at a table and they're all shown three lines. Which of these lines is the shortest? And they they each announce their answer. And then like the fifth time through, the first three guys give the wrong answer because they're in on the experiment. And the fourth guy knows the answer is wrong and still gives it just to mm. conform with the other three guys. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, I think this movie would be right up your alley. You can find it on Max. It's for free on some services I've never heard of, what Philo, I guess I've heard of, Fubo TV, and Crackle I've heard of. I just didn't recognize that logo. Um, again, it's called The Experimenter from 2015, and I uh, highly recommend. Yeah, uh, the Stanley Milgram stuff is so interesting. There is an argument to be made that I have heard and uh, align myself with a little bit that you could say that the people who pushed the button were in the right because it actually wasn't hurting someone and they knew that no that the end result couldn't be that somebody was being hurt because you know it's controlled so the power the same power dynamic yeah. that makes them push the button was also their escape because that power dynamic actually had their best intention uh, in mind. It's yeah. it's a fascinating philosophical journey through morality and narrative and what we tell ourselves. Um, so yeah, I, I I find that stuff really really interesting. I did not know this existed. It does not surprise me. Peter Sarsgaard uh, would enjoy doing something like this. I went to a Netflix event for a Maggie Gyllenhaal movie. Who's his wife? The, oh, that's right. They're married, and he was there. And while everybody else was uh, talking to Maggie, I just sat in a corner with Peter Sarsgaard and chatted all sorts of like philosophy. That's and amazing. Things. It was fun. It was really fun. He has roots actually where I'm from in Missouri, and so that's what started the conversation. And then we just kind of got into other topics. So he seems like one of those guys that loves to think about you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, the movie's got Winona Ryder, John Leguizamo, Dennis Haspert. Uh, I think that you guys uh, would really dig it if you're into this kind of like topic. So. Yeah. Do you have another small recommend for us this week, sir? I do. I've been wanting to talk about this. It's been out for a while on Apple TV Plus. Uh, Prehistoric Planet, um, Mm. season two. There are two seasons of this. They're fairly short seasons. These are the, I often say the wrong David. Is it David Attenborough that does the, the, the voice? Uh, yes. or sometimes I say Richard Attenborough, I think, which is actually the guy from Jurassic Park, yes. right? Yes. Okay, so it's David Attenborough who does like the narration on like the 
plant, you know, our planet, planet Earth, those kind of things. This is a planet Earth type documentary as if we had access to the prehistoric times. So it feels like planet Earth in like actual footage in those kind of things. It is gorgeous. It's some of the most beautiful things uh, that I've ever seen. Um, and it talks, there's like a lot of science, a lot of, you know, uh, stuff you can learn. The entire episode plays as if we have cameras in prehistoric time. And then there's like a five minute uh, coda at the end or epilogue at the end that talks about the science behind how, you know, scientists believe or know certain things about these animals. I think this is a fascinating show and it's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I really, really enjoy, if nothing else, the visuals, you know, just watching like an actual T-Rex swim across, you know, water. And it sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. You say it's on Apple plus Apple TV plus is Apple where it TV lives. Plus. I feel like they're struggling to find a brand voice. Like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I don't, I don't ever find myself going there just to browse. It's stuff like this where I get a recommendation and I'm like, I'm intentionally going to Apple Plus now. Whereas I'll pull up Netflix sometimes and go, what's on? What's here? And I don't do that with Apple Plus. And that's what, and that's what the streamers want. They, they want a, a walled garden and uh, Apple's trying to get there. They just have sporadic success with things like Ted Lasso or right. um, some of the others. The morning like, show was pretty successful for them, even though a lot of critics didn't like it. Um, it was successful. And other than you, I know you're going to say you did, but I don't know anybody that watched that show. Yeah. Yeah. They got that. Uh, isn't that Jason Siegel Harrison Ford show on Apple Plus? Apple TV yes. Plus? And that's yeah. really good. That's um, what I've heard. I don't know anybody that's seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting because their strategy has been to have the device that you use to go see everything right and then that their stuff will be on there too and i just don't i don't think it's working for them yeah um everybody's trying to do that google's trying to do it with their chromecast i don't know that that's exactly working for no. them roku is trying is roku leading the space in that idea like i mean i think roku has pivoted to original content uh, as opposed to well yeah i mean they want to make their own stuff because then they don't have to pay for the rights to exactly. it <laughs> that, that weird owl movie was a roku original sure right? was yeah. sure was yeah um all right great second recommend and i saw in the chat there was concern that my small recommends this week would not include some kind of <laughs> edible or drinkable product and i'm here to tell you i have not let you down uh every year lay's potato chips does some wild flavors and i think there's like a contest where people suggest them and then they usually make I think four every summer. This summer, I've only seen these two, Cuban sandwich and BLT sandwich, and they're both delightful. Delightful. <laughs> now, listen, I potato chips are one of my vices. I That's probably one of my very favorite snacks is potato chips. So I, I get down nice on... Nice salty crunch, man. This, this oh, is I do, better. I'm telling you. Now, I, have, I have historically not even been drawn to these because it'll be like hot chicken or chicken and waffles and i'm like i don't eat that on a regular basis so i don't want it on a chip and i think um, the third sandwich uh that was released with these was a buffalo chicken uh oh, you're right. type you're right. sandwich there is like yeah. a buffalo yeah. chicken yeah. yeah anyway i love a cuban sandwich i love a blt these chips are both flavored to be exactly like what you expect like i can't believe how much the cuban sandwich tastes like a cuban sandwich i feel like i can get all the main flavors can't believe I'm talking about a potato chip like this. Um, <laughs> the BLT is a little sweeter because he's got that tomato in there. Um, and a little, you know, sometimes you get a little mayo on your BLT. Anyway, both these chips are awesome. I'm a snack guy. And uh, if you see them and you like chips, give it a go. There you go. Uh, I am not interested in these chips. Uh, That's okay. too, ma too many flavors. Too many flavors okay. for well, me. Just, just interesting... give me like cheddar, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm good. Well, <laughs> uh, then you should check out. Have you seen the summer Doritos that they got going on? No, what do they got with the summer Doritos? They got three. They got uh, tangy ketchup, not interested. Uh, no. Spicy mustard, really good. My wife okay. is obsessed. And ultimate cheddar. Ultimate cheddar sounds amazing. Let's it's, go it there. It is amazing. I would recommend <laughs> that fully. Uh, so you get it. bonus chip recommends, everybody. Um, <laughs> all right, it's time for this week's big recommend. Uh, Aaron, this was your choice. Why don't you take it away? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. 
We're going with Singing in the Rain. Uh, in my opinion, uh, well, not my opinion. It is a fact. It is my favorite movie ever made. Um, and I adore this movie. And I think the the reason comes down to uh, there are just certain movies I just have a grin on my face from beginning to end. And this is just one of those feel-good movies. If you've never seen the movie before, or even if you have, we'll run through it uh, real quick. It starts out with uh, some really creative exposition in the form of a movie premiere uh, where they uh, are going to the new movie, The Royal Rascal. Uh, starring Lena uh, Lamont. And so they go uh, to this movie. There's an MC lady who stops and uh, has a conversation about the career of how they uh, got here um, to this point. And it goes into this really beautiful uh, kind of saying one thing, but the truth is what we're seeing, which I always love when a movie does this, where it's like he's talking about, you know, how they really earned their way there. And it was always dignity. And you see the reality is that they started in pool halls as kids uh, for quarters and had to, you know, scrimp and, and save. It's kind of the message of Babylon r- right in that first scene, which is the truth is a lot more uh, cultivated the, or the truth is a lot more dirty than the, the cultivated uh, stories. So, mm. um, so yeah, it's all there right at the beginning. Uh, this is a musical, uh, and so there is the uh, fit as a fiddle is one of my favorite uh, things that, that happens here at the beginning. There's a violin gag that makes me laugh every single time uh, that it happens. Or they'd yo-yo it, drop it, and yes. bring it back up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think my favorite part in the violin gag is where uh, Gene Kelly grabs his bow and is is bowing with both of them, and he he he's like reach can't reach, and so he tries to play with his fingers. And just Donald O'Connor, man, he's so good <laughs> he at that physical comedy. Um, so we kind of see them go through like a stuntman montage. So you find out that the Gene Kelly character worked his way into movies uh, through being a stuntman. To find out. Uh, we find out that Lena Lamont has a terrible voice, which is fine uh, for silent films, um, but uh, doesn't necessarily work as we move to talkies, which is where the movie goes. Um, so you've got uh, the Gene Kelly character uh, coming to a big party after this premiere, and he gets stopped by a bunch of fans. They tear his suit up. He has to run away and escape, and he just happens to land in the car of uh, Debbie Reynolds. Uh, who is 19 when she shot this movie. 19! you imagine how... Uh, I would have been so starstruck. I wouldn't. I don't think I would have been able to perform. I'm sure she was performing <laughs> most well, of her life. Well, we may get but... to some of it later, uh, but there are definitely behind-the-scenes stories uh, about her experience uh, on this movie uh, at the age of 19, but, uh, but yeah, so Don Lockwood joins her in the car. She doesn't necessarily, she knows that she knows him from somewhere, but she can't quite put her finger on it. And he's like, Oh, I'm kind of a movie star. And she's like, Oh yeah, you're in movies. And then he kind of puts the moves on her and she doesn't like that. Mm -mm. And I love the way she kind of, uh, just totally owns him in this scene, just plays him, uh, like the fiddle he was playing earlier. Uh, mm. And it is, it's one of those things where she is just getting under his skin by saying things like, I don't know, if you've seen one movie, you've seen them all. And, you know, movies just a bunch of play acting. By the way, she's not wrong in silent films. Silent films were a bunch of play acting. There is mm-hmm. something more interesting on stage when you can hear the voices. And that's, of course, sure. why talkies sure. became uh, as popular as they did. So they they have this kind of falling out. She lets him out. His uh, his tuxedo gets caught in the door, ripped off, and she lets out. I think one of the greatest laughs in cinema history. Uh, in that moment, uh, love it. So they go to the party. Uh, Cosmo's there, which is the Donald O'Connor character. The head of the studio is there. Everybody's there. He introduces them to this idea of talking pictures. And everybody's like, it's just a fad. It'll never work because that's how all technology uh, is approached uh, initially. And uh, they're celebrating. Party goes on and they have some entertainment come out. Turns out it is the Debbie Reynolds character popping out of a cake to perform for them. This, of course, makes Don Lockwood the happiest man in the world because he's like, <laughs> you were making fun of me for being a movie star and you're popping out of cakes yeah. uh, because she had talked about wanting to be on the stage and on Broadway. And he says something about, you know, working your way up through Shakespeare and eventually playing King Lear. You'll 
you'll have to wear a beard for that one, he says. And it's just funny. It's clear that he's having a good time and, and she is not. She tries to throw a, a pie at him. It hits Lena Lamont instead. And that is uh, why she gets fired from her job because Lena gets her uh, fired. So uh, another beautiful song in there, The Whole Night Through is the song they sing. This leads us to one of the greatest stretches in movie history where we get a Donald O'Connor number called Make Him Laugh that is possibly the most athletic uh, performance in a musical in history. It is insane some of the stuff he is doing uh, in Make Him Laugh. Look, if that guy didn't break his tailbone filming that song, <laughs> I'll be a monkey's uncle. Because I, I started feeling sympathy pains a number of times he landed straight on his tailbone, my goodness. It was a concrete floor. They didn't pad any of that. It was concrete. Yeah, he, uh, he he took three days in bed after filming that, came back, and they said, uh, oops, the aperture was fogged. We have to do it again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he did. Oh, my uh, goodness. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an absolutely astonishing uh, piece of work. Uh, so, anyways, it leads to this stretch where basically we're, we're just kind of back in the entertainment industry. Don Lockwood's a little bit bummed. Um, you know, they're trying to figure out what's next, all that kind of stuff. And then... Selden shows up in the chorus of one of the other films that's being shot. There's like a montage of a bunch of different songs. Um, and she shows up and they get reacquainted. And basically, uh, RF, who's the, the studio head, says, if you don't want her here, you know, we'll get rid of her. And he makes it very clear. No, we, we want her here. You know, she's great or whatever. And this is kind of them reindu uh, reintroducing themselves to each other and kind of getting over the the animosity of their meet cute and and kind of moving on to uh the next stage but then we go into moses supposes mm -hmm. which is a diction uh song that is some of the best tap dancing i've ever seen uh mm -hmm. it's just incredible work uh this goes into a montage of sound issues as they try to turn the movie they're doing into a talkie and that is uh not going well uh, that leads into Good Morning when the three of them are just lamenting this is not going to work. This is because they just had a preview for the movie, and the movie is not going over well. People are laughing. Uh, there's dubbing issues, and those dubbing issues give them an idea. What if, what if Lena's voice didn't have to be in the movie? What if you could dub over for Lena's voice? Uh, that leads to him leaving with singing in the rain. So, uh, the, the titular song and just an amazing performance by Gene Kelly in that number. And the, uh, the interesting thing about singing in the rain, the song is it was originally meant to be the three of them singing that song right after the preview. Hmm. So the idea was they're really down and they're learning to sing in the rain it's really interesting to shift the message of that song after the big moment of realization and have it be on the upswing because the message of the song is about being kind of down in the dumps and finding a way uh to continue singing so it's interesting to kind of move that but i think gene kelly if if the the stories are true wanted this to be his like big solo piece well, number it sure and... was a good idea <laughs> it was it works really really well uh so then they get into the production of dubbing it uh there is a uh, a scene that he wants at the end of the movie called broadway melody and basically the the funny thing about this scene is it is the scene in this movie that he wants it to be in the other movie so it's basically just like this big dance number that's almost separate from the rest of the movie, but is there to showcase like technical achievement and big swooping camera shots. And there's this uh, uh, like moving walkway at one point with all these f like frozen people come, you know, just on, there's hundreds of people just going by him on this walkway. And I'm just like, man, the production of this, this last scene uh, would be pretty amazing. Uh, after that, Lena finds out she threatens to sue um, if uh, Kathy Selden, uh, Debbie Reynolds' character, doesn't continue to be her voice in more and more movies. And uh, that is going to happen until at the premiere, she puts her foot down and is like, 
I'm going to give my own speech. And she's try, she tells off the head of the studio and the head of the studio is like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. So they have a plan. And basically they tell Kathy she has to sing the song from behind the curtain and let it appear as if Lena is singing it in front of the curtain. And then they all march over to the curtain and pull the curtain back so everybody can see that Lena's not even using her own voice. Uh, and that is the pretty much the end of the movie. Everybody lives happily ever after, except for <laughs> Lena Lamont uh, after that. So that is Singing in the Rain. One of the interesting things about it, before uh, you kind of go into your thoughts, Jeremy, is this is a movie that was built around the songs. Yes. So like the songs weren't written. Well, I should say there are two songs that were written for the movie. Um, but other than those two songs, they had a, a MGM, I think, had a catalog of music that they wanted to get back out into the public consciousness so that it would sell, right? And so they, they put this group of songs in front of screenwriters and said, build a story around these songs. Uh, yeah which feels like such a backwards way to do it. And yet it kind of speaks to how some of the best art and creativity comes from having barriers, right? Mm. Like some of the best art and creativity comes from this idea of being in a problem and trying to solve your way out. And yeah. uh, it's pretty impressive, the story they built around it. But Jeremy, what are some of your thoughts of Singing in the Rain? I think that the final line of Singing in the Rain might be the silkiest smoothest piece of singing in the history of mankind when he drops he slides that in, mm -hmm. in right? i can't do it justice but he gives me chills when he mm -hmm. sings that last line the whole song's great the whole number's great this is a movie that was uh off my radar for most of my first 25 years of life my mom was a danny k uh, Bing Crosby person. So White Christmas, the right. road movies with Bob Hope and um, Bing Crosby, all the Danny Kaye stuff, Court Jester, <clears throat> Inspector General. That was my classic film upbringing. And man, when I watch this movie for this podcast, the beats, it feels so much like White Christmas to me. Mm -hmm. um, sure. There's a, a guy who's a little better at singing and a guy who's a little better at physical stuff and dancing, but they're both pretty good at both. There uh, are romantic songs. And I just, I don't, it, it could easily have been the movie I grew up with uh, and adored the way you do. Um, it's just that that's not what was shown to me. So right. I watched this for the first time as an adult, probably 25, and I loved it. I loved it immediately but I, I remember the whole time i was watching it i was like donald o'connor is everybody's good at danny k donald o'connor is everybody's good at <laughs> danny k tell me <laughs> like my like my history is danny k is the guy from this era for physical comedy and right. music and he's not uh, donald o'connor is every bit as good they're both amazing at times yeah maybe better it's a little different but especially in that number where donald o'connor is breaking his tailbone over and over again and doing these things that make it look like he's tripping and falling and mm -hmm. accidentally hitting the floor that got gave me huge danny k vibes because danny k in white christmas has to pretend like he hurt his leg so that the general won't watch the big show anyway um i'm not gonna make that my double feature by the way for those who are <laughs> trying to pre-guess um yeah i came away from this uh this viewing even more impressed as usual with gene kelly and donald o'connor um and debbie reynolds is great too um i just don't know that the movie gives her as much to do as it does those two guys. Um, and a little bit of reading I did suggests there were some songs and scenes that she had that ultimately got cut. Um, mm -hmm. Or shifted to other people. And Yes, yeah. and I also yeah. read, hilariously, they had to dub her singing for some <laughs> of the movie. One Even specific she's song. Character, yeah. Oh, it's but, it's really interesting uh, to not only her singing. So she is in the recording booth dubbing over for Le the Lena Lamont character, right? So yeah. when you hear her, you see her from behind, and you see Lena on screen, uh, and you hear the speaking. It's actually the actress who played Lena Lamont's voice. It oh, is the, wow. it is literally the same actress. Just using her normal voice instead of the high-pitched thing she was doing for Lena Lamont. So it's anytime it's Lena Lamont supposed to be talking or singing, it's not Debbie Reynolds. Anytime it's supposed to be the Kathy Selden character in the movie, it actually is Debbie Reynolds. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so the Lena Lamont 
actress did her own speaking that was supposed to be Kathy Selden dubbing her speaking, but then the song was a third person, completely different. The you were meant for me or whatever it is. Yeah. You just tore you just made me into a pretzel with that. <laughs> um I uh I don't know. I mean, it makes sense when you tell us that the movie was put together because here we have a catalog of songs, write a plot. But when we get to that Broadway number and we jump to the future <laughs> and like, I, I paused the movie and went out and ranted to my wife for like three minutes. I was like, I have no idea what is happening right now. <laughs> he was agree. he was a swashbuckling Frenchman. I agree. And now he's in Broadway making his way up. And, and when I went and Googled and found out that that's how the movie was written, I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Um, because that's the only, the screenwriters did an incredible job making a great story mm -hmm. out of some songs that previously existed. And only in that last number do I go, what is happening right now? Yeah. But uh, it's still a technical achievement, that last number. Uh, it's still wildly brilliantly colorful lots mm -hmm. of motion yeah. um so it's not it doesn't damage the film i don't think in any way uh there's so little time spent on the romance in this movie it's kind of hilarious to me mm -hmm. because like once they re-meet after he sees her in that chorus they go into a sound stage and he professes undying love forever and it's a great song and it's a lovely little magical <laughs> thing where he turns on the lights and turns on the smoke mm -hmm. and turns on the fan yeah but I don't buy that romance. The thing is, in movies like these, I don't know that that's what they were pay, putting their energy into. It's the same could be true for White Christmas. I don't buy any of those romances either. It's just that they love each other because the script says they love each other. There's not exactly a ton of chemistry. Anyway, yeah, no, um, I loved it. And uh, I'll get to my other thoughts as we go through. What other things do we want to discuss? You mentioned a lot of things that... that uh, triggered some stuff, but I'll just start by saying some of the behind the scenes stuff I've alluded to, uh, which is that Gene Kelly, by all accounts, was an absolute beast on this set. Um, and I guess in our modern parlance, that could be positive or negative, uh, pr probably both. Uh, you know, he was amazing yeah. at what he did, and he was a complete jerk to everyone around him. Uh, he made Debbie Reynolds cry many, many times. Uh, sometimes he would pull Donald O'Connor aside and just scream at Donald O'Connor instead of Debbie Reynolds because he didn't want to waste the time f for Debbie Reynolds to have her cry and come back. And so oh, he just wow. offloaded it all on Donald O'Connor. Oh, Donald wow. O'Connor said that he hated working with Gene Kelly, that he was, uh, you know, such a jerk. Um, later on in Kelly's life, he, uh, he apologized and admitted that he was not a good person uh, mm. on, the, on the set. It really, I think, comes down to this uh, psychological thing that for a long time, like the, the whiplash thing, right? Like in order to get the best product, you've got to put people into duress. And mm. I think he really believed that. Um, he was uh, disappointed that Debbie Reynolds was cast. He didn't like her from the get-go, and so that was part of it. He didn't think she could dance and keep up with them. Um, uh, so there was a lot of that going on behind. There's a there's a story of that Fred Astaire was actually working on something nearby and actually played a big role in Debbie Reynolds being able to finish the movie because he uh, found her crying under the stairs somewhere and had a talk with her about his experience with Gene Kelly and how to get mm. through it and um, different things like that. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the the problematic things we face, uh, I think it, both things can be true that Gene Kelly is absolutely astonishing in this movie. Uh, and he was also, uh, by all accounts, a terrible person behind the scenes, um, which is never great to hear. Never no, but I mean, listen, the same kind of stories exist about Bing Crosby. Um, some sure. even worse stories. About Hitchcock, like, yeah, like yeah. it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I, uh, I accidentally called him Gene Simmons in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love some of the lines in this movie. Uh, you shouldn't believe all the banana oil the columnist put out. Um, and he says, I'd rather kiss a tarantula. And she's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, Joe, bring me a tarantula. Hey, Joe, bring me a tarantula. <laughs> so the delivery on that is so perfect. Yeah, it's great. Um, I wanted to read you 
my stream of consciousness notes from the Broadway number at the end. Oh, would, beautiful. I, and by like the way, before you do this, I will agree with you. I, the Broadway melody part has always been the weakest part of the movie to me. It's a technical achievement, but it just, it smells like a forced entry into this story like it smells like hey we got to do a big technical number at the end because everybody expected it. everybody loved it in american in paris we've got to do this thing and which ironically again is what they're saying in the movie when he's selling it to rf he's like we got to do this big number at the end it doesn't really have a lot to do with the movie but it's like that's exactly what you're doing yeah. uh so i yeah. agree with you it, it it kind of it feels like out of place with the rest of the movie so this will feel like uh, something out of a CinemaSins video, uh, <laughs> Fair. this rant. So as the Broadway number, which is like 15 minutes long, it's, I'm exaggerating a little, it's really long. It's long. So here's, where, here's my stream of consciousness notes about the Broadway number. Does the movie they're making, The Dueling Cavalier, does it make any sense? Why is there a modern scene of him auditioning on Broadway? Is this the same character as the swashbuckling 18th century Frenchman? How did he get to Broadway in the early 1900s? Time travel? I don't even understand what's happening in this number or why it exists. And it goes on for so long. Why is this song? This movie has gone off the rails. Hey, that girl looks like Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> now, now we're on a runway. What the fuck is happening? Oh, my interpretive ribbon dancing hell. They filmed three-fourths of a great movie and then did an extended acid trip dream sequence love affairs song thing about a guy who comes to Broadway and achieves everything, but can't get the hot girl to like him until he remembers how much he loves dancing for the fuck all of it all. <laughs> and just what the fuck does that have to do with the first three fourths of the movie? So there you go. There's my little rant. That rant is not incorrect. That is not an incorrect. Line. Uh, and there's some there's some stuff at the end too that um that I always just kind of go eh, where it's like they have this plan and they don't tell Kathy Selden. Like, what is the upside here? What is the like? The, I mean, yeah. you're just embarrassing her. Sure, you're you know getting back at Lena Lamont, but you're also embarrassing Kathy by doing it the way you do it too. Yeah. So it's it's a weird yeah. choice. It's a weird icky choice. And he's like, stop that girl. And it's like, well, let her run away and cry a little bit. Like. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other notes or thoughts before we get into the super secret double feature? I guess the one thing I will say is I think the movie is at its best from that run from Moses Supposes through all like the sound montage, all that stuff, all the way through Singing in the Rain is like the best 40 minutes in movie history. Like it is so euphoric, uh, that run that they go through there. Yep. Um, and it's just some of the some of the most incredible dancing, incredible singing. Um, there's so much talent on display. Um, and when you read the behind the scenes stuff, it's crazy how much work went into. I think uh, they shot that couch part of Good Morning. Mm. Um, close to a hundred times uh, oh before they got that couch tip right. But that couch tip is so perfect. Like it when is. they all come up to that couch and they balance it all the way down and then collapse onto it, like that's really cool stuff. And just it the is. movie just does stuff like that throughout. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's euphoric for me. So, yeah. All right. Well, I had a lot of options for my double feature and I accidentally sent them all to Aaron last night or two nights ago. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Shh, be very, very quiet. Secret, what secret? A dirty little secret. I'll tell you something I've never told anyone. I'm on the fence even now. I, my head wants to go with Babylon, which I recently saw four days ago on a fluke. Because there is For the first so, time? Yes. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm, I don't know if I liked it, uh, that doesn't asked. surprise me with that movie. Um, <laughs> that's, that's one that's got to sink in a little bit, <laughs> but there is so much overlap in topic and era and even Babylon even ends. This is why Aaron loves Babylon, everybody, because the character <laughs> cries after watching singing in the rain at the end of this it's movie. It's more than that though. It's more than that, <laughs> but yes, but yes. Um, but I, I, because I do not know what Babylon is to me yet. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel comfortable going with that. So I'm going to go with a more tonal uh, comedy based. I'm going to go with Bowfinger 
which is oh. a, a movie about movie making um, that includes having to do a lot of trickery and fakery to somebody who's in the movie, which is Eddie Murphy, who doesn't know he's in the movie in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the, I wanted something that was about making movies for sure, because that's such a huge part of singing in the rain. Uh, and I looked at state and Maine and I looked at tropic thunder, but nothing really gave the right vibe to me quite like Bowfinger. Uh, it's in my opinion, still kind of an underseen underrated Steve Martin movie. And well, I think uh, a bright spot in Eddie Murphy's uh, aughts career, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was not yeah. so awesome. Anyway, um, I appreciate everybody in the comments uh, who thought it was going to be a Babylon because I absolutely do see why that makes sense. But that movie, it's rare that it's, this happened with Annihilation. I watch a movie and I'm like, it's going to be days before I know how I feel about this movie. I have to live in it for a while mm-hmm. and maybe sure. watch it again. So, Yeah, I think, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense even uh, that moment at the end where he's watching Singing in the Rain is where it all clicked for me, where I realized that Chazelle was literally making a behind-the-scenes movie of Singing in the Rain. Um, because at first, I was almost, it was almost a negative thing to me. Like when they did the, there's basically the dark version of the get the sound right scene in Babylon. And I was like, well, that's, that's more than an homage. That's like, you're really stealing a lot there. And then when I realized that his, it seems to me, his entire intent was, I want to tell the actual dirty, grimy, real story of how, you know, that transition went. And then you start putting the pieces together. Like, you know, the Margot Robbie character is Lena Lamont. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like the Brad Pitt character is Donald Lockwood. Like Mm -hmm. you, like you start to see um, even the, uh, the band character um, uh, is kind of that Donald O'Connor feeling, but in a more honest racial kind of spin on it. And um, it's just, it's, it's wild to me how that movie is not just, uh, influenced by singing in the rain it is a direct response to singing in it the is. rain which I, I find really really interesting so it yeah. is uh and i i actually the the one scene that i loved was that that sound getting the sound right scene even mm-hmm. though it nearly gave me an anxiety attack which <laughs> sure I was trying to do uh but that was the one scene that really sung that and the toby Maguire leading them into the depths of hell that was pretty mm-hmm. unsettling yeah. like interesting yeah. um all right but this podcast is not about babylon um <laughs> it's it not. about singing in the rain and our double feature is Bowfinger. and now it's time for next week's homework mm-hmm. uh and i want to give a very special apology to slab who i don't think is with us today uh, because I had sort of promised him casually that I was going to recommend uh, Tin Cup to time with mm. the U.S. Open. But the U.S. Open is this week, and uh, we won't be recording until next week, and that episode won't air until the following week. And really, this is all Franklin Rich's fault, the Artifice Girl <laughs> uh, director, uh, because he came out of the ether uh, and was willing to do an interview, and it, it threw me off my schedule. So next year... I will get around to the tin cup. I got a whole year to get it timed correctly. Nice. nice. And so next week, uh, your homework is going to be Road to Perdition. Um, a Tom Hanks, uh, Daniel Craig, Paul Newman, Jude Law, masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, and it is available on Showtime and Paramount Plus um, and uh, a lot of other places available for rent. Uh, it is one of my very favorite movies and still kind of underseen. And I can't wait to dive in and watch it with the Recotopia hat on. Very excited to watch this one again. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. have time for questions. Uh, so let's do a couple questions. What do you say, Aaron? Sounds good. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Uh, who had really amazing chemistry actors that you wish would act together again? Very good question. Um, There are lots and lots of um, pairings. Like my my brain immediately goes first to the idea of romantic pairings. Um, But I think it's more fun to just go with like um, people who are just good on screen together. Um, Mm. And uh, and I guess I guess these are also uh, somewhat uh, romantic pairings as well. Uh, but uh, Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci in oh, Easy A. Oh, um, they're so good in that movie. <laughs> and they're so good together. How like do you the always way- steal a movie from Emma Stone? How do you do that? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and this one is definitely, I would say, not romantic chemistry, sexual chemistry. Uh, that would be George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez in mm. uh, Out of Sight. Um, th just the heat coming off those two together is insane uh, in that movie. It it's really magic. is magic. So, well, it's like yeah. you have to have that super unique chemistry to get that kind of magic. You can mm -hmm. have good chemistry and not still not get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I could say the whole cast of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films. Um, I think I think the universe is going to give us one more of those. Uh, maybe I'm just trying to manifest it. Uh, <laughs> Make that it is happen. One of the best chemistry cast I've ever seen. But I also wanted to shout out Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe from The Nice Guys. Uh, I would love a sequel to that. Um, and then uh, Studio 60. I always thought Matthew Perry and Bradley Whitford were sure, yeah. Meh to do scenes together and that show didn't land quite the way everyone wanted it to but the scenes they had together i thought were really really good yeah. um so that's my answer there in the chat steve martin and eddie murphy yeah that's uh that's a good one stallone and kurt russell goodness gracious now they've both been in guardians of the galaxy movies but i don't think i think we're both in the second one but i don't think they shared a scene did they uh, I don't know, but they were in, I just watched this and I, I, I forget the name of this movie, but it's the one where I feel like Stallone is miscast and we got in a big, uh, to do about it in, uh, in our slack. Cause I said, Kevin Klein would have been better in that role than Stallone. Um, but, uh, what is that movie? What is that movie with Stallone in, in Kurt Russell? Uh, Tango and Cash. Is it? Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it's Tango and Cash. Yes, it's Tango and Cash. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Denzel, and Two Guns. That's a good one. Um, oh, another, let's see. Another one for Mark and Denzel. Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins from Cabot in the Woods. That's mm -hmm. a good one. Yep. Uh, all right, let's do another question. What's a movie title that promised a lot more than the film ultimately delivered? A movie title. It's really interesting to think of the title as something that's making a promise, right? Like, mm -hmm. but it kind of does. Um, it's it's interesting how just the title of a movie can uh, can be an ex expectation. The one that immediately came to mind for me, and this is my answer: Snakes on a Plane. Um, I think the title of that movie uh, promises something that the movie just isn't able to deliver. Uh, and it's going to happen sometimes uh, where it's just like the idea of something is just bigger than what can actually be uh, be pulled off. So Yeah, um, like Jack Black as a Mexican wrestler. That sounds awesome to me. <laughs> and then you watch Nacho Libre and you're like, right. what happened? Um, yeah. For me, both visually and the title... I expected so much from Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. I thought we were going to get this steampunk, blimp-based, mm -hmm. Star Wars-y awesomeness, and it's just a flaming hot mess. Um, yeah. Although I only watched it once. That was 20-some years ago when it came out. Probably not going to go back to it, though. It's an, interest, it's, it's an interesting technical thing to watch and kind of what they're experimenting with but i don't i just don't think the story is very good i nope. just think this the story is is a little dull they focus too much on the tech and not the story they james cameron yep. it yeah. um history of the world part one because it promised a part two that's funny um, multiverse of madness um oh we're still getting answers for the chemistry simon Pegg and nick frost that's an excellent answer yeah, Never definitely. Ending story. You guys are all about the puns today. Um, <laughs> History of, of the Ultron. World Part Two exists. It's on. It's on Hulu now. Like uh, you know, it's it's there. History. Uh, let's see, uh, Age of Ultron. More like a week and a half of Ultron. That's funny. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do another question. Favorite, best, and worst movie title, as in the title of the film, not the film itself. Uh, my favorite movie title is also one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, my favorite movie title is uh, North by Northwest. Uh, mm. I think it's, it's, it's just, it's succinct. It's interesting. It says something about the movie and, uh, you know, it famously is not a direction on the compass that exists, um, which, you know, speaks to the idea of mistaken identity and illusion um, it is also vaguely the direction the characters move uh, in the movie, uh, which I always think is interesting. Anyways, I love the title North by Northwest. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, uh, the best. Um, oh, we can, yeah, we can go back and forth. What's, no, what's no, your no, favorite? No, no, no. I just wanted to make sure you had the other ones too. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah. 
Um, I think the best movie title I could come up with was The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, I think that's just a, a, a really great title. It's artistic and interesting, but is very clearly what the, the movie is. Um, it speaks to it on a, a deep level and a surface level, which I think is good. Uh, one of the worst titles ever is The Hudsucker Proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great movie, but it is a terrible title, in my opinion. Um, yep. I get what it means. I understand that, the, yes, that is what the Tim Robbins character is, is literally a proxy for <laughs> literally for, yeah. <laughs> for Hudsucker. <laughs> and it's just a terrible title. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite is probably The Hunt for Red October, uh, which is also one of my favorite movies. But I remember when that movie came out, it just had a sense of intrigue. Of course, it came out pretty close to the Cold War, the end of the Cold War. So I think... There were still a lot of emotions and feelings and anxieties that people had, and it just kind of conjured up this intrigue for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always had a soft spot in terms of best titles for the Englishman who went up a hill but came down a mountain, um, which I would guess you appreciate the wordplay of it um, because it is a double entendre mm-hmm. of a title. And I don't think I've ever seen the movie. I know it's about Hugh Grant comes to this small town and they want to get their hill declared an official mountain mm-hmm. but it has to be a certain height and from there I, from what i understand it's just a quirky hillside british kind of a thing mm-hmm. uh but i love that freaking title and i also wanted to give uh, honorable mention to logan's run just because i feel like that just rolls off the mm. tongue really well um and then the worst title that i could think of in prep for this show uh was an early 2000s movie called O, which starred martin <laughs> sheen and josh hartnett and it was a modernized basketball retelling of othello um very few movies can get away with a single letter title that is gonna be good for marketing or just as a good title and that movie did nothing and <laughs> i bet i know why is the uh, is the movie pi is the title the symbol for pi or is so. it pi um oh i don't know i don't know i think it might be the symbol which i always find interesting um but yeah there you go movie pi let's see pi movie <laughs> well, the poster is the symbol um uh, but wikipedia and imdb have pi so yeah that's interesting I guess we'll never know. Um, <laughs> in the comments, some of the good titles and bad titles. Hobo with a Shotgun, that is a good title. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, that is a good title. Mm-hmm. Fight Club, Ocean's Eleven, John Carter. It's a great new name, movie, great movie, but that name sounds like a documentary or something. And that's <laughs> absolutely true. Happy Death Day. Um, Hoodwinked 2, Hood versus Evil. <laughs> That is bad. That's definitely bad. All right. That's a bad movie, too. One more question, and then uh, we'll all go to lunch. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Man Multiverse is quite possibly the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. So what is the most beautiful, regardless of it's good or not, that you've ever seen? This is a a great topic, and there are a lot of good choices here, so I'm going to name uh, a few, um, mm-hmm. but I first want to say I completely agree that Across the, the Spider-Verse is one of the most gorgeous movies ever made. It is, mm. it is a, a spectacular visual feast, if nothing else, um, and I will also just say there's plenty more to it than that, but that, that is true. Um, I think what dreams may come may be one of maybe the most beautiful uh, mm. movie put on screen. I think the movie's a little messy. Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly what it's yeah. doing, but man, some of the way it envisions the world around him or the afterlife around him is is um, just absolutely gorgeous. Floored uh, floored me when I saw it. Um, mm. Life of mm. Pi is a movie I really enjoy and is also very beautiful. Um, uh, Amelie. Uh, I think is worth mentioning in this. Uh, lots of uh, beautiful stuff going on there. And then one that I don't know that most people would throw into this category, but I really think it fits. I think the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy fits in this category. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the stuff they're doing with the fantasy visuals there had never been seen before. And some of those wide shots of like Helm's Deep and some of the battles uh, are just absolutely astonishing and beautiful so yep. um so i would throw lord of the rings uh as trilogy as in there as well that i like 2001 one of the most visually beautiful movies mm-hmm. i think i've ever seen yeah. almost anything by terrence malick 
specifically a new world or badlands um but i don't like all of his movies those are two that i happen to like mm-hmm. but i i found myself settling on movies i hate that were beautiful like prometheus <laughs> i think prometheus is one of the most gorgeous looking films i've sure. ever seen and it only makes my frustration with that movie mm-hmm. you know bigger uh cloud atlas is another one i think visually that movie is stunning and they could have used a little more energy on the story um because i finally decided i don't like cloud atlas but I do think <laughs> you finally cool. came down you finally came down to a decision did you finally finally <laughs> decided uh the lion king being suggest here lord of the rings yes another good one um spider-verse um so yeah it seems like a, a lot of agreement with uh, the question asker and with us so nice. I want to say a special thanks to the chat again for coming out and being with us live and contributing to the discussion. Uh, and we appreciate your presence and your feedback as always. Uh, next week's homework is Road to Perdition. Uh, Aaron, do we need to give... Is next week recording at the normal Tuesday 11 time? Or is it is not. Week? Okay, let's uh, that we, we should We should give people a heads up. Next week's uh, live recording will be Monday instead of Tuesday. Same mm-hmm. time, but on Monday instead of Tuesday. Um, so I want to give you a heads up uh, on that, uh, that we'll be talking about Road to Perdition next Monday. Monday for the live audience. All right? Those of you who listen after the show releases to the public, you can tune us out now. Yeah, that same thing. Matter. It'll pop in your podcast feed at the same time. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week on Monday at 11 Central for Road to Perdition. You guys have a great day and a great rest of the week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. What were you jamming to? Hey! Sounded like some industrial shit. Like, it's, it's just some of the like default background music they have on here. Oh, really? Yeah. It's labeled rock. Definitely rocks. This one's labeled night driving. Oh. See, if I was listening to this while driving at night, I would fall asleep and crash. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. How you be? How you doing? I'm good, man. I was just realizing <clears throat> before we popped on, it, you may not you may not want to give your opinion on this, but I have not heard your opinion on uh, the Saudis buying the entire PGA Tour. Like the yeah, it's pretty effed up, man. Because <laughs> I'm I'm there with Rory and Tiger and Justin Thomas for the last year and a half. Like right, those guys clearly chose a payday with blood money mm-hmm. um and even the pga tour director as recently as eight months ago mm-hmm. was throwing the 9-11 survivor family people in, in their faces what would you say if the survivors were right here in front of you and now he's turning around and doing the same thing and i legitimately have to wonder if i can continue supporting this because <laughs> i mean at the at the end of the day the pga tour was already operating on money that comes from sources that probably do shady the, yeah like I, th- there are no there are no purity tests in true capitalism it's right. it's yeah it's very very difficult and i i love golf and it sounds like this is the only professional golf we're going to have now because yeah. they got the european tour in too and that's just really frustrating <laughs> i wondered i wondered how you were feeling about it like i think one of the things and by the way i will specifically mention it, it it maybe sounded a little bit like you were saying tiger and rory and them were the people who took the blood money but oh no 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 they were they kind of held out and they're the they're the people right now that are kind of getting shafted on this whole thing right like yeah well the tour guy says what we're gonna do is give everybody who remain loyal equity in this new venture Mm. but they're not spelling out what that means yeah and i also guarantee you 
that the Phil Mickelsons of the world are going to go, I'm getting that equity too, and I'll <laughs> see you in court. And there's also, like, they've already been contacted by the, I don't know, the Trade Commission, Justice Department, whoever. Yeah, it may not happen still. That's it may another not big even part go of it through. Is it may not even be able to go through. And that's so. scary too because if it doesn't go through, then we're back to a PGA Tour that is now saying we don't have the money right. to continue to operate and fight them in court. So then so they basically overextended themselves to try and stop the bleeding, and it worked, and now it's all blood. Yeah, it's wild, man. It's interesting. This this new like era of capitalism has so much of the nonsense of just do things that lose money for a long time and eventually they'll make money. Like that's like mm -hmm. the whole thing with so much of like the you know internet well, Silicon Valley and, for sure. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And it's just like I think streamers are realizing that that may not work. I think sports leagues are realizing. I think the movie industry is realizing. Like I think there's all these industries that are going, hey, what if the model of actually have a balanced budget uh, is probably the way to go? <laughs> even, even in baseball, you've got multiple broadcasting entities that right. are bankrupt. So, like, I think it's the Padres. They, that, that team broadcasting went under. Mm -hmm. So MLB is just broadcasting those games, at least for the time being, for free. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to happen across the league because everybody went in with all this money and spending all this money yeah you know, yeah debt is just, magic magic debt it does, it's not real it's just you know it's it's just an illusion and it's like no it's it's real <laughs> we're talking about people out in silicon valley like the, mm -hmm. the like peter Thiel and all uh -huh. those like really high-end and investors they've got so much money they can spend half a billion dollars on an idea that goes nowhere because they've they've got many more half well but taking a gamble dollars. is different than a business model that relies on spending more than you make like those right. are two different things but like it's okay to, to 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 like invest in gamble in some like that's you know that's the stock market that's you know but the uh the idea of your actual business model is we'll just we'll just spend everything for 10 years and then we'll magically start making money <laughs> yeah and then that's why you see so many you know collapse and mm -hmm. now they've seen so many collapse that the new thing is to make movies about it so <laughs> that's right <laughs> i mean i'm talking about one on the show today so yeah yeah <laughs> when will they learn i don't know i don't know i don't know man it's gonna get worse before it gets better Aaron. you know i think that's true i think that's true until yeah. until ai super intelligence just you know wipes us all off the map or fixes everything uh, one of the two just to get just to get through the day, we have to throw up these blinders <laughs> to the fact that like I don't think Putin is a sane person. I don't think doesn't he's seem a, like it. And so I have to have faith that there are people close to him <laughs> that don't want the world to explode and that they will stop him before he can do that. And that's yeah. if I spend too much time thinking about that, I won't think about anything else. Yeah, faith in humanity is an interesting phrase. Uh, it is it is something each of us have to kind of wrestle with. And you know, the the uh, I have faith in individual humanity. I do not have faith in corporate humanity. Like those are two different things to me. The idea of I think for the most part there is if if not um, uh, you know moral standards, there is even evolutionary evidence to do the quote-unquote right thing you know what i mean like there's yeah. to the propagation of the species or or whatever enough that like an individual person i think will for the most part understand uh right from wrong uh you know we're all able to create our own narratives but for the most part i think we look out for each other however once you you uh off shift responsibility to a group all of the sudden, that moral decision becomes less owned by you, and so you're kind of ambiv more ambivalent about it. And that's that's the scary thing to me is the idea of corporate morality, uh, which is just – it's so much worse and so much more icky in my opinion. Uh, what do you think about uh, Apple's new $3,500 uh, VR headset? <laughs> I don't know who that's for. Like, I mean Apple like fans, right? Like at least that. What do you do with it? 
So I think spatial computing is a really great idea. The, the idea that we eventually won't have actual monitors, we'll just see monitors in front of us that we can control and put where we want them and do work on them. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but, but that yeah. thing looks uncomfortable as hell. <laughs> I think it probably it is. It looks heavy. <laughs> yeah. Like I bought, oh, where the hell is it? I don't ever use it. I bought an Oculus. Mm -hmm. Um shortly before or shortly after facebook bought them so six right. seven years ago it's not like top of the line and i for like two days played around with that thing I, and i'm like well i can go into netflix and watch a netflix with heavy goggles on my face and 20 minutes into a movie <laughs> even though it does look like a movie theater mm, yeah um i'm like this is painful yes this hurts so this feels like a product that is a loss leader for something 10 generations down the line right. that will be useful and maybe that's the point maybe i don't know well and apple isn't one of those companies that spends money they don't have apple has oodles of money in the bank like they're 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 not in debt so like it's no it's interesting to to kind of watch where they put that and where they think you know technology is heading and i just don't understand why i can't get a simple pair of glasses that have google's current they're translate yeah. and text speech to text so that i don't need so one of my hearing aids broke um and i don't really feel like immediately plunking down fifteen hundred dollars for another pair of hearing aids when i really only wear them when i go out in public which is pretty rare i'm kind of mm -hmm. a hermit um so if you can give me those glasses i'll understand what the grocery store lady's saying mm -hmm. uh i'll understand the waiter um, even possibly in a different language like that's I can the, eavesdrop that's... on the on the Hispanic table next to me yes uh... <laughs> yeah it's it, I ever since you know and I'm an early adopter and I love technology but you know I used Google Glass for several months when it when it first came out I, I managed to get myself in on the the ground floor on that and immediately I knew it was the future like the future is wearable tech the idea that you can have a heads up on your face display just makes way too much sense for way too much technology. The problem yeah. is always going to, there's going to be three hurdles. And until these three hurdles are, are overcome, I don't think it's going to be like a, a big adoption. One is comfort, which you already mentioned. Mm -hmm. The other is the cringe factor. How does it look to other people around you? Uh, Google Glass was high cringe. You wear it and everybody knows you're wearing it and it's, you know, it's it's uh you know it has to look like a pair of glasses and then the other is cost and honestly cost is the least important of those three people will pay for great technology but the comfort and cringe factor i think are 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 the important ones to, to kind You've of thought about this a lot i can tell oh yeah no i'm i'm excited for whatever uh glasses tech eventually solves it because it's it's really going it's it's gonna the be only... so, so much better than a watch like a watch you know oh for sure for sure yeah. and but there's going to be there's privacy issues to figure out there. Like I'm joking oh, about eavesdropping. Yes. No, 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 on no what definitely. Nearby tables are saying, but you know, I can see I can see certain businesses going, "Okay, we we're just going to put up some kind of technology that blocks those so you can't use those in our bar or what have right, you." Right. Right. Um yeah, like certain the way safe zones where they can't be recording or taking pictures cuz you're basically yeah. just giving everybody spy tech. That's basically what you're doing is you're giving it everybody really advanced spy tech at that point i mean technically i could do that now right i could pull out a very discreet tiny digital voice recorder mm -hmm. record nearby people take it home translate it if need be type it up save it i could already be doing that but that's a lot of work and along comes a gadget that can do all that for me. Yeah. If I can press a button that says, uh, save this conversation for later. Uh, uh, press a good. button. Just look to the right. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what it'll be. Eye controlled. Like, you know, you just, yeah. And what happens with my overactive <laughs> blink mechanism? <laughs> You'll have a lot of accidental pictures, I think. going to have a lot of accidental <laughs> pictures.